Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know, I'm always inspired by other people's life stories. So I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. I had such a wonderful experience recently where I got to have a chat with Gladys McGarry, who is a doctor, a holistic doctor, and she is 102, I believe actually 103 years old. Uh, I was a little bit in awe, to be honest. Um, She has a fascinating story, but at this wonderful age, she still has a vision for the future. Um, She has shared so much wisdom over the years. She's an extraordinary woman, a mother and a grandmother, and still working in the holistic fields, writing her books and uh, sharing her wisdom. Wonderful, Gladys, it's so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, the the thing that attracted me when I, I, when I very first heard one of your um, wonderful messages that I've listened to over these last few months was that uh, you believed everybody should have a sole purpose. And that ah. pricked my ears because my podcast is called Soul Purpose. And ah. I hear about people's soul purpose and why it's so important to them and why it's so important for us to have that purpose in life. So I would love to hear yeah. from you what your soul purpose is and why you feel it's that important. Well, you know, I, I when I was two, I said I was a doctor. My parents were doctors, and I said I was a doctor. And my my dolls had to be uh, treated properly because I, they things would happen to them. My sister wouldn't let me play with her dolls because my dolls had to be <laughs> treated. Excuse me. <clears throat> but uh, right from the beginning, I knew that there were things that I was watching my parents do that I could, I understood that they were reaching to the people in India who had never seen um, a doctor and, and they were, no matter who the person was, they took care of them the same, everybody was the same, everybody was treated with respect and love and dealt with as people not as diseases and somehow that really um i understood that yes and when i started medical school it was the opposite we were treating diseases and we'd forgotten the people you know so uh well i was sent to a psychiatrist twice or at least uh, during medical school 
because they didn't think I had the right attitude. But it was that whole understanding from the very beginning that each one of us is here for a reason. And so we need to teach to treat each person with that kind of understanding and that the disease is just there to help them understand who they are, not the other way around. I love that attitude, Gladys. I really do. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And I'm also incredibly fascinated with the little two-year-old that knew what her purpose was. And did it continue that, that you, you're, as a two-year-old, you knew what your purpose was? Oh, yeah. And I think that's a great done, granddaughter that's doing the same thing. <laughs> it's you so know. cool. So cool. And, and, you know, I have a whole body of work now that helps people to discover what their sole purpose is by going back to innocence, to the child self. Because I yes. believe that it's, it's at that point that if we're encouraged by our elders, that we can really find out what we're here to do and be. So you, and you know, I, I, my children taught me that too. My <clears throat> John, who's my helper here all the time, he's a retired Presbyterian minister, but when he was seven years old, he came into the living room and he says, well, I wish Jesus was here. And I said, well, I do too, but why do you? He says, because I got questions. And I said, well, Try me, I'll try to answer. You don't have the answers. I said, well, try me. So he says, okay. How could God be if you didn't get started? Wow. And I said, oh, <laughs> well, maybe it's like a, a circle. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. And he says, I knew you didn't have the answers. And he goes off to play. And then <clears throat> my fourth child, who has the, the human potential center that he's had for 35 years in Texas. He, he said, um, he, came, he was three. He came in and he says, I know something. I says, what's that, Bobby? He says, if I make a friend and he makes a friend and he makes a friend, it's gonna go all around the world and come back to me. Of course, he's a psychologist. <laughs> you know, when, when you take, as for me, it was exciting to watch these children tell me yeah. what it was that they were coming up with. You know, it was that amazing uh, connection yes. with people were these this high. You know, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, Gladys? This, this is so amazing because I have six children. Uh -huh. It's a good number, it. isn't it? Isn't it a great number to have? I had three boys and I had three girls. Well, and you know, the, yeah, yeah, and I did exactly the same as you. I watched what they loved, what was important to them, what they, what their hobbies were, and each one followed. You know what, what they were passionate about, and yeah. I encouraged that. And so we had exactly the same idea around little children because there was so, there's some understanding, isn't there, that they've got the answers. We don't have to give them a curriculum to get them to find that out it's it's they it's already innate in them hey and, and it's still happening you know my three-year-old great-grandson yeah came walking into my house and he's looking around he says i like your house <laughs> 
you know, they they say what they think. They do. They really and it's and it's and it's good to hear. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and it's important for us to listen, hey. Right. Yeah. So what happened to you? You you went from school, I take it, to medical college, university. Well, I went to women's medical college in Philadelphia. Okay. It was the only medical school for women uh, in, in 1941. Yeah, when the war started. Anyway, <clears throat> yes, I started medical school. And when we started, there were 50 students. And when we graduated, only 25 of us graduated because the uh, idea was that women are going to be treated so badly out in the field, we're going to make it as tough as we can here because we don't want anybody who can't make it when they make it, when they get out into the field because that's, you know, you're women and you're not really accepted. So we'll make it tough for you. And they did. So if we did anything that was considered not, or, or not passing, no, it wasn't that. It was if we couldn't pass the exams or if we'd make mistakes or something, then we'd just be dropped. Wow. So um, it was a, and then, <laughs> you know, when I started my internship, there was no place for me to sleep when I'd be on call because the men had the rooms and there was no room for me. So I had an x-ray table and a blanket and a pillow. But I'm not, I wasn't about to complain because I at least had the opportunity to, to get this. Yeah. Wow, it's incredible. It, uh, like Women like me, we, we read about these things, but of course we haven't experienced them as such in that respect. But you were, you were incredibly brave to go through all of that. And, and also it's very shocking to hear how women were treated in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that you weren't, understood the, the my mother was a physician but when she went to she and my dad went to india right after world war one mm. uh, she was on his passport in other words she was baggage <gasps> you know <laughs> serious she wow. had a degree like he did and and the training and so on as he did but she was his baggage. That was all right. She accepted that. You know, she got to do it. So she didn't have her own passport. Yeah. She was so all we've come a long ways, you know. We've come a long ways. We have come a long way. And yeah, there's there's still we've still a way to go, hey. Oh yeah. And you know, one of the things that's still really see, I think it's very for me and the work that I've done. It's important to listen to our dreams because sometimes we get very, very important from, it's been very important for me. And so um, uh, when I was 93, I had a dream and this was, um, I had up until that time, I had never really trusted my own voice. It was because of I was so dyslexic when I was a kid that, you know, I had to repeat first grade and everything. So I was a class dummy and so on. But 
up until I was 93, I'd write something, I'd write a book, I'd write an article, I'd do a speech, but I was always in the back of my mind, the, the are you sure that's right? You better check out, make sure. That, and so that tape was playing all those years. And then I had this dream. And in the dream, um, I woke up with, and I knew it was a Sunday morning, and I woke up singing and laughing. And uh, so then I, I shook my head and realized what the dream was saying. I saw myself in the dream as nine-year-old Gladys in the jungles of in, of, in North India, just coming out of our tent where I knew that my, and I was just peeking around to make sure my younger brother wasn't out there because he'd tattle on me and then I'd be in trouble because in our family, we weren't allowed on Sunday mornings to do anything but sing uh, hymns or bhajans. We weren't allowed to sing other stuff. And I thought that was a very stupid rule and I was going to try and do something <laughs> myself. So my brother wasn't there and I ran as fast as I could and climbed the tree, mango tree, clear up to the top. And I'm sitting up there and I'm singing. I mean, I'm singing a caterpillar song or any old thing that I thought I wanted to sing. But every so often I look over my shoulder to you know, make sure that everything's okay. When I look over my shoulder, Jesus is up in the tree with me. Wow. So I look at Jesus and he's laughing. And I say, uh, Jesus loves the little children, right? And, and Jesus says, yes, and he's laughing. So I go on singing and then I get to thinking, did he really say yes? You know, the, that, that doubt came back in again. And I look back over my shoulder and I said, I'm still a little children, right? And he said, yes. So I went back to my singing. And then I woke up singing and laughing. And it was a Sunday morning and I knew it. And I realized if Jesus can accept your voice and the th things that you're saying, you better accept it yourself. And I was 93 when I got that, you know? So it's, it's um, you have to learn as you learn from the things that happen and how you can learn it. Because prior to that, all the stuff I had done had been okay. Yeah, it's all right. It'd been accepted, mm -hmm. but not in this way, this tape that was running through this head of mine. Mm. I totally get you. And, and and our voice is very important, isn't it? It's It's oh. connected to the heart, to our will to our purpose in so many different ways it's what people hear yes yeah and it's our own personal message as well yes yeah and and how did you get on with your parents being them being doctors and they must have been very proud of you hey becoming a doctor oh yeah but they were proud of all their kids you know that's so but lovely. They were proud of the kids that they the <clears throat> The children of leper parents, they started a school for them. Wow. So it was, we were their children who were born to them, but the children that were 
coming to them from different places were, you know, I can't say just as important, but they were important too. Yeah, yeah. And, and so were you living in, in India? Mm -hmm. How long I did you live I was born and raised there until I was 15. Until you were 15. So that's quite a cultural um, education in a way. Uh -huh. yeah. And then you came back to America? Yes. Yeah. How was yeah. that for you? Well, <laughs> it was a complete culture shift. I have to tell you this story. The first, so I start, came back to go to Muskegon College in Ohio. So the first assembly that, that I attended in the school, and we walk in, you know, and we're standing there, we stand up for the uh, first assembly, and it starts off, you know, Da, 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 da. Well, <laughs> the whole school was singing um, My Country Tis of Thee, but I was singing God Save Our Gracious King because I was from India, okay? Oh, so I'm singing with my loud voice, God Save Our Gracious King. And the man standing in front of me turns around and he, he's laughing and he says, my parents are missionaries in Egypt, and I just did the same thing. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but you know, it was that kind of thing that it was a, 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 a culture. I didn't know any of the movie stars. People that, who I knew was Princess Margaret and Princess Elizabeth. Right, right. Gosh, so it was quite a cultural shock for you coming back. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but it was okay. It was just one of the things you just knew you had to get through, and and you did. It was, uh, of course, yeah. of course, we adjust to things, don't we? Uh -huh. Yeah, and you learn. So, so, so most of your education, well, I imagine a lot of your education was in India, like the the education that really mattered. And then you had to get your qualifications and the like in a medical school. Well, my first two years in school were terrible for me. And were they? Tell us. Tell us about that. Well, see, when I was in the jungles of India, I was fine, you know. As soon as I started school, I couldn't read or write. All the, the I knew the alphabet and I, I knew how to count and stuff. But by when I tried to read, the the letters would were all over the page and yeah. and they wouldn't stand still. We knew nothing about dyslexia at that time. Mm. We apparently later that it got a diagnosis, but at that time, uh, I was just the class dummy. Mm. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. My teacher thought I was stupid, and treated me like that. And I had to repeat in her class the the class too so i went went through a first grade twice wow. and still couldn't read yeah, yeah fortunately i went into third grade where miss mcgee who was this wonderful teacher who saw something in me that the other teacher had not seen i mean i might not be able to read but i could talk mm. and i could kind of organize little things around you know and so she appointed me class governor. Wow. This is India. So I was the governor of our class. 
So if we had a message to give to our whole student body, she, it was my, uh, you know, I was able to take that and give it. <laughs> and there was one time when the, we, our class was to uh, do a play and the, uh, on the stage. And the play was the frog jumped over the pool. Well, I was the frog. My mother made me a frog suit, dyed it green. And I could jump over the pool because I was taller than the other kids because I'd got the, was the dummy and I'd gone through school, you know, the whole thing anyway. But I, still, I was the one who got to do this. And I was really proud and really confident and I had this green suit on and I come walking out onto the stage, just ready to do my part in the play. And in the front row, I see my two older brothers and it just threw me off my step enough that instead of jumping over the pond, I landed in it. This dyslexia stuff makes you kind of lot, yeah. not quite, you know, so yeah. anyway, so I'm standing in the pond. My suit is fading because my mother, <laughs> you know, and my, the student body is hysterical. They're laughing so hard. They're doubled up laughing, you know, oh, and I'm standing there crying. Yeah. I can't move. The teacher finally comes on, pulls me off the stage, and I disgraced walk off the stage. And um, so we come home, we're having dinner. My brothers are telling my the family all the, how hysterical it is and, and they're laughing. I've tried to give them the bad eye and they're not paying any attention to me. Finally, my mother, who, <laughs> she was amazing. She, she says, all right, boys, now, you've had your fun, but what can we do as a family to help Gladdy in place this happens ever again so that she would have this kind of the people laughing with her not again at her yeah. and it to totally helped me because it's happened time after time i walked up on the stage and tripped and and stumbled and gotten myself and was able to say something like oh i'm such a drama queen or something and i had the the of people, the audience in my hand right before I said anything, you know. But my mother, I, I think one of the things that has happened to me, and I think it happens to other people, I've had angels along the path who, when I've gotten myself in a fix, these people who are, are living people on this dimension come along and help me out. Yeah. I mean, it's been that kind of an amazing trip uh this hundred years plus yeah wow that's that's lovely and and yeah it sounds like your mother was very wise oh kind mother she was amazing yeah that she really understood what you needed at that time she also understood that it, it's when something happens you can either make it a huge thing uh, or you can Put some humor into it. Yes. It's like <clears throat> a week before she died, we were sitting out on my porch and 
with my dad. And she says, look at that petunia bush. There must be 400 blossoms on that bush. And my dad says, oh, Beth, there can't be more than 40. She says, what's another zero? I mean, you know, it's that kind of a, of a she could pick something up and make it something. You're right. Yeah, what is another zero? Exactly, exactly. Uh, and how important is it? You know? Yeah. Beautiful. What lovely parents you had. And so they must have really encouraged you with your oh, yeah. ideas and becoming a doctor. Um, oh, yeah. So what was it like to to get your qualifications and then to go into your career in that way? Was that more accepted in those days or was it still a struggle? Oh, no, <clears throat> no, we started the American Holistic Medical Association because it was still and still is to this day. <clears throat> Medicine is a war against disease and pain. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it that way. I see disease and pain as something for us to learn from. Right. And I never have seen it any other way. But it's that, um, so in the, uh, we started the American Holistic Medical Association in the early 70s. And it took us two years to, figure out how to spell holistic because we were trying to find the word that said health, healing, and holy, not the W. So it, it's holistic with a H, which brings the spirit and the essence into the whole practice of medicine. It's like my <clears throat> oldest son is a retired orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> anyway, um, he came through Phoenix and he was uh, going to Del Rio, Texas to start his practice. And he says, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm really scared. He says, I'm going into world. I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. I don't think I can handle that. And I said, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that this orthopedic surgery stuff that you've learned is amazing. If I have something broken in with me, in my body, I want a, somebody who knows what he's doing to work with me. You know, that's that's your job is to to do what you know. And then... As you're doing that, with love and understanding, you contact the physician within that patient who does the healing. Because you then uh, turn over to that patient the whole process of healing. They can either accept what you tell them to do or not. I mean, that's their choice. Yeah. When you've done your job and you've supported them lovingly, you can then trust that aspect of them to do the, the healing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it, it hasn't changed much. <clears throat> this, this whole idea of what we're doing in medicine being a, a war against disease and pain. A few weeks ago, I have this wonderful friend of, uh, a, a neurologist friend patient who teaches in the medical school here 
<clears throat> and he was telling me that uh, he was he had a patient that he was going to see in the hospital, and that the resident who was just in doing her residency was waiting outside of the door for him. And when he came up and he says, well, let's go in. And she says, oh, we don't need to. And he said, wait a minute, what did you say? She said, no, we don't need to go in. He has Alzheimer's, he won't understand anything we're saying. And he said to her, now, wait a minute. Do you understand there are two patients in that room, his wife and himself? Now, we can do what we can do, but his wife is going to take what we're saying. She's going to understand, because we're saying it with love and understanding. <clears throat> but she is going to, going to take that, and that's what she's going to do for her husband. Yeah. She's going to be the one who's, uh, he may not understand it the way we do, but she understands her husband and she knows how she can connect with him. That's something she can do. So we're going to go in there and we're going to touch that patient. He says we need to make connection with the patient, with our touch and our carry. And with the words, <clears throat> the words that we say. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And and is this the way you've treated obviously most of your patients? It's like oh, yeah. care and helping them to find the physician within here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what what kind of you know what, what patients have you had mostly? What what do you find has come your way? Is there anything in particular? I have had the most amazing patients. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, <clears throat> I'm not calling it holistic medicine anymore. I'm calling it living medicine. Mm, nice. Because that's that's what we're doing. We're, we, I, I, I <clears throat> have accepted, you know, sometimes having a little bit of structure to the way you think about things helps. And I've come up with five L's that help me to understand the, uh, a lot about healing and a lot about life. The first two are life and love. They can't, they don't function without each other. You can have a, a, a seed in the Great Pyramid that is there for 5,000 years. It can't do anything until life. Light, love act in the way of sunrise and and water and so on softens the shell breaks it and all the energy of the universe emerges but the one can't function without the other it's like a pregnancy when we were pregnant with our babies everything we ate they ate what we thought they thought when we did they did, but we did. We weren't monitoring it. We weren't taking care of it any more than you're taking care of the breakfast or the dinner that you get just ate. You know, it's there. Our body is there doing what it needs to do. Yeah. And so that we're one unit. 
we become separate units when the baby takes its first breath. The baby then manifests who he is or she is, and we femifest who and what we are. So I, I think this is another way of looking at it. Um, I had a dream that, that helped me with this. Well, I won't get to that. I'll get to my third L. Please do. <laughs> so go together. The third L is laughter. Laughter without love is cruel. It's, it, it's a cold. It causes families to break up. It causes wars. It's it's just it's very quick, but laughter with love is joy and happiness. So the fourth cool. one is labor. Labor without love, uh, I gotta go to work. Too many diapers, you know. Mm. But labor with love, it's not your duty; it's your bliss. Yes, it's what my, what's make you do what you're doing now. It's what I'm, you know. Yeah. It, you do. Twice as much, ten times more work, because you just you can't help it. I mean, this is your bliss. This is what you do. Yes. Then you do it if you're dragging yourself with it without love. And the fifth one is listening. Mm -hmm. Listening without love is empty sound. You know, people don't hear it, and we don't even hear it. We don't even hear what we're saying sometimes if we're not listening to what we're saying. So listening without love is <clears throat> empty sound, but listening with love is understanding. Yeah. So these five L's have helped me to structure <clears throat> the things that I, that I think about and things that I do in a way that makes it doable. Yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah I'm gonna write those down, Gladys. I think that's brilliant. That's so, yeah, very inspiring. And so that idea of loving what we do, bringing love into what we do, um, is is absolutely crucial, isn't it? Because if absolutely, we, it's the so great much, healer. Yeah, love is what heals. And for so many, we're not living our true purpose because we're not loving it. So we're just doing it for, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, dragging so, ourselves through because it's our duty. Yes, yeah, but we need to fall in love with what's been offered to us, what's come through us. And, right, right. Yeah, it's like the gift from God, isn't it? That absolutely, yeah. and I love that. Otherwise, I make God wrong because God's yeah. given me the wrong thing, and it's, it's like, <laughs> well, actually, God's given me this beautiful gift. I have to offer it to my community right. or society. Yeah, uh, yeah, fabulous, fabulous. So. You've got your five L's, you've written books, you, you've worked with, I can imagine, hundreds, if not thousands of people over your many years. I mean, I have people that I've, I call examples of living medicine. One of my dear friends, patient for 50 years, just died a few, a few months ago, mm. and she lived her life from the time she was 18 months old till she died I uh, she uh 78 with one quarter of one kidney that's impossible 
Wow. And those of us doctors who were working with us, with her would look at each other and we'd say, how is she doing this? You know, but she is a perfect example of living medicine. She had so much purpose and she, she was so important to herself and her family and the people that she contacted and so on, that she was a, a living example of living medicine. I have another uh, pa patient friend, they become friends, you know, yeah. uh, who is in her, well, she just turned 80. She's had pain all her life. She has, she's it's just been a, a miserable, she's, you know, her her body has been working with this, uh, you know, I'm not talk about what the disease was, but whatever, you know, but she worked with pain all her life, but she's a painter and she she's an artist. So when the pain gets really hard for her, she grabs her paints and she starts painting and she paints anything that's around. She paints her shoes, she paints her purse, she paints, you know, the wall or anything. And when she, and she paints and paints until she has what she calls the ting, the painting comes and she can deal with the pain again. Mm -hmm. It's that uh, ability to take your life where it is and make it usable. And she is awesome. <laughs> She's written awesome. books and so on. She, and, and her paintings are gorgeous. And uh, she's just an awesome person. But she's, and, and you know, Franklin Roosevelt dealt with pain all his life. It didn't stop him. No, no. We all know people who have, uh, I guess we do, something that is, could have stopped them anywhere along the line. And they've taken it and made it, uh, something that's just there that they have to deal with like brown eyes or blue eyes you know you they, they're there <laughs> and so they deal with them yeah yeah they don't let it stop. And these are living medicine examples of living medicine mm -hmm. gosh so tell us about your book and what made you to made you write how many books have you got actually you, you've got uh, six i think <laughs> so well, I had written these other books. Most of them are medical books. Hmm. But the, this book was the essence of the medical book. Hmm. It, it was the juice. It wasn't about medicine. It was about the inner person yeah. and who and what we are and how, how life treat, works with us, how we work with life. Right, right. Very interesting. And we'll put a link to your book with this podcast because I think people will love to Thank read you. it. Absolutely. So as a dyslexic person, you know, how did you come to be able to write a book? I'm sure that's a question that many people... Well, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's one of these bebephastic mysteries. Um, um, when I was... When we were had the American Holistic Medical Association, there were uh, 10 of us sitting around the table, doctors, you know, and we were talking and got to talking about dyslexia. 
six of us were severely dyslexic. And we looked at each other and we said, that's why we had to find the alternative because I can't tell you why I learned, how I learned to read. We, we asked each other, I, you know, Jerry Jim Palsky, I said, how did you learn? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's that reality that <clears throat> there is within us something that goes beyond what we think is normal. Mm. That's what needs to be taught. Yeah. And so it's, yes, uh, okay. it's, it's a, an ability to see something and organize it in a way that it makes sense to you. Yeah, I, I get that. Because when I was three years old, my mother insisted that I learned to read and write before I went to school. And I was so resistant and I did terribly at school, hated school. It didn't work for me at all. Um, but I've gone on to write six books, um, even though my education was, yeah, just didn't really happen. But life is the educator. And uh, oh, yeah, everything that if, if you take it as such yeah. is a yeah. teacher. Absolutely. And I wrote very poetically because as a little girl, I couldn't master the the classic way of writing in the Queen's yeah. English, so to speak. So I was writing poetry and making things up and, and word sure. sentences. And, and that's how my poetry started to manifest. And so yeah. all my writing now is very poetic. But it's, yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of where I've come to with it. It's <laughs> been a struggle. And sometimes the struggle actually inspires us and motivates us more, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it allows us to get deeper into where we are yeah. because we know, you know, I know that my dreams help me with, with it. I know that uh, somehow some structure of something would make sense so that I could, I could write, read and write. Well, yeah, you yeah. have to, if you're going to get through medical school. Of course. <laughs> the team sent me to the psychiatrist twice during that because I, wasn't you know, quite normal <laughs> i had that experience too but had very yeah. fast apart from the medical school i definitely didn't go down there i went down the road of dancing and being creative and <laughs> but then i think well you know medics of course that's very creative as well in so many ways isn't it it's yeah. all yeah. part of the same puzzle <laughs> life this is so wonderful I, I i i'd love to talk to you for forever about this this subject because it's really um, it's such a passion of mine, but I'm not going to keep you so long because I'm sure it's been <laughs> you. But um, I'd, I'd love to just ask you what what you hope for the future now. And you're I, 102 <laughs> years old, I have to say to our listeners. You know, this is quite amazing to be in conversation. I have a 10 year plan. Do you? I'm, <clears throat> yeah, I'm envisioning <clears throat> a village for living medicine. Wonderful. Where the moment you step onto the property, the healing starts. But the people who are living there, working there, so on, are understanding about living medicine. So that 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 what you, you do, and and the amazing thing about this, as I begin uh, this podcast around the world, which just blows my mind, 
I'm so in awe of what's happening. There are people around the world. When, when I mention a village for living medicine, they say, that's what I'm working on. Oh, nice. And one in Canada, one in, uh, where is it, Zambia? And Tanzania. Tanzania. You know, these are people who really have the message that they're saying, no, we human beings, you know, I, I, I kind of structure it this way. This isn't theology or anything. It's just my thoughts. That when God, whoever God is, um, created the earth, he looked at it, she looked at it and said, oh, this is gorgeous. You know, it's, it's exactly perfect. It's wonderful. I love this place. And then he, she created the human being and said to us as human beings now now this is your responsibility well now now said to us this gorgeous planet this is in your hands because we now give you dominion over the earth and we in our arrogance thought it was saying dominance Oh, wow. So we've taken over the earth and done what we, in our pride and whatever, wanted to do. And I, you know what's happening now is that the people that you and I are talking to are looking for their true humanity. Like E.T. was looking for home. It's that reaching the, the responses I'm sure you're getting. The responses I'm getting from around the world are, yes, yes. You know, it's that love and healing and the fact that we have truth. The, the divine said to us, you're the only beings on this whole planet that have the, 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 uh, free will and free choice. And so now you have dominion. Uh-huh. Look yeah. what we've done. It's time we woke up. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you, Gladys. Bless you. Thank you so much. You, you too. Wisdom. It's been absolutely marvellous to be connecting with you. Can I ask you one more thing? Mm -hmm. How do you manage to get your hair so beautifully perfect? Well, I have some help. <laughs> but I haven't cut it for 50 years, so... No. No, I, I'm I'm the same. Look, it's it's like well, not I'm I'm six sixty something, but some yeah, yeah. Well, well, I you know so beautiful for it's, me. It just works. Uh, you know, it's much easier than having to get permanence and whatever. Absolutely, and and it, it's like a crown on your hair. Just looks Thank so you. sovereign. <laughs> Love it. Thank Thanks. you so much, Gladys. It's been an absolute honor to connect with you in this way, and I'm sure I. Well. Yes, it is. Thoroughly enjoy hearing you and hopefully getting in touch with you, looking at your website and reading your books and all that. Good, stuff. good. Bless you. I Thank hope you so. Everything you're doing in the world and your message. You too. Thank the you. world needs us. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker 
My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.